We think that's what the church, what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God being a God of order, right? You know, it means that we have this, this hierarchy that we live by. Well, a lot of us have been hurt by that, right? We've experienced that as, as toxic. It works for some people, but a lot of people end up, you know, under the bus in those sorts of models. And so we come out of that. And if we've managed to hold on to our faith somehow, despite what we've experienced in those systems, we want to swing to the opposite direction, right? And we're just like, no more hierarchy, right? Like we're, we're tossing yes. that all out. We're just, we're going to be very, very mutual and let's see what God can do, which is great, except as it turns out, like you get nothing done. <laughs> as it turns out, like you kind of just, you end up abdicating like your gifts, other people's gifts, because nobody knows how to like connect to these things. And, and so we've experienced that as a church, right? Where it's like, we're just like, man, we're just gonna, we're just gonna love each other. And, and that part was actually, it was great, like in some ways, right? It's very warm, very connected, but it's also super chaotic. Friends, that was some good stuff there, wasn't it? That is my friend, Brenna Rubio, who is on the podcast today with her co-pastor, Bill White. They are co-pastors of City Church Long Beach. They are not married. They are co-pastoring, not married, which uh, for some of you, maybe you have seen and experienced co-pastors that are married. We are seeing a movement. A movement maybe is too strong of a term, but we're starting to see more and more churches that are investigating, dipping their toes and trying out co-pastoring models with two people with complementary gifts or sometimes with more people than that, sometimes three people with complementary gifts who are leading together. And as you can tell from that opening clip, we're talking about how we engage in leadership and leadership systems and how we handle power and hierarchy and all of that. We're talking about, I mean, we talk about it like through the lens of the church, but we're talking about it more than just the church and organizations as well. We're, we're talking about the the recognition of some of the the toxicity that our leadership systems and structures and and postures, the way that we've held power, like the, the toxicity that they've created and start like imagining and, and talking about like, what are some healthier ways forward? And Bill and Brenna have some great thoughts on this that don't just come out of like, oh, we've experienced this great thing at our church, but they, they actually have been working with and consulting and helping uh, other churches and organizations develop some some healthier systems, dismantling toxic leadership patterns. So they've got some just really great insight as to what this looks like. And both of them have a long tenure of leadership under their belts. But this, this friends, this is a frequent uh, conversation that I find myself in with pastors, particularly that for some pastors, what's happened is they've dismantled the theology that they used to have and that they used to hold on to. And they've moved towards a more generous and a more open theological posture. But what's happened in that while they have thought through and changed some theological beliefs, they still hold on to and operate to uh, leadership in the same sort of way. They still, their church still like functions in the same kind of way. They, they haven't done the same kind of work in their leadership systems and structures of their church as they've done with their theological beliefs. For some other pastors, um, there is this desire that's coming up from within their churches, from others who are in leadership. Um, I've been talking to some other organizations as well, that this is 
that there's people in the organization that are in positions of leadership, but that are starting to say like, hey, um, what if we are structured differently? What if we think about how power works differently here? What if we are thinking differently about the voices and who makes decisions about things and how even decisions work? And you're gonna you're gonna hear us talk a little bit about this. About there's this desire. I, I bring it up and talk to ask Bill and Brenna a bit about it. This desire to see new and different ways that leadership holds power, and, and sometimes it seems as we kind of like push into it and poke into it with folks when I'm in some churches, it seems that the people who are asking for it, they don't know exactly what they're asking for all of the time. They have some some ideas, some like vague ideas, but they don't actually know maybe all of how it plays out, maybe because they haven't been in um, those sorts of leadership positions, maybe because they haven't seen it fully implemented, but they have this like sort of sense that there could be something different. And what's happening is the people that I'm talking to the most are the person in the church or in the organization who has the most power in that organization. And they're trying to figure out what I do with people asking for this. And in my conversations with them, they're a bit confused because they have a hard time seeing a different kind of way forward, a way forward that can still be effective. And then it doesn't end with the church or with the organization closing their doors because we've actually seen that happen several times. We've seen, we've seen, we've, we've, a lot of us have stories of churches and organizations that dismantled their leadership structure and that ended up within a year folding because they could not figure out, well, how do we be effective with this new kind of leadership structure? And so you have these leaders, for those of you who are listening that aren't in leadership, holding the most power in your church or in your organization, and um, can I tell you that I get that you want and you desire something different. And I also totally get why maybe your church hasn't moved there yet. And it's not necessarily because your pastor is fearful. It's not necessarily because your pastor doesn't want to give away power. Sometimes some for some of them, they're fatigued. They brought about so much change that they're tired and they just don't have the energy or the passion for more. And sometimes they just don't have the vision or the imagination for how a different structure could work. And so they're like, gosh, I've seen people go down this path and I care so much about this church. I care so much about this organization. I would hate to see it close its doors and they don't have a vision, a picture, an imagination for a different way forward. I was, I was actually, I was thinking about this the other day because there's this Instagram account that's built around, there's several of them that are built around deconstructing your faith, but there's this one in particular that I've gotten to know the person who's running it just a little bit. And and it's exploded over the past year, just had crazy growth over the past year of people that are following it and engaging with it. And while this Instagram account will critique pastors who build a church around themselves, around a, a single personality, if you scroll through the posts in this Instagram account, 90% of the posts are a video of one person talking and it's his face talking into the camera. And while they will critique churches for not having more representation of more voices, 90% of their posts are a video of a straight white man talking. They're using the same playbook that they've inherited from the evangelical church that they're critiquing. But the thing is like that, that playbook, it actually works. It works for building an audience and it works for building a following. And so in their critique, 
they themselves are doing the very thing that they're advocating against. And, and I'm not I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm not throwing shade in their direction. I'm just I'm simply trying to say this. It is not always as simple or as easy or as cut and dry to figure out new ways and new structures. It is one thing to have shifting personal beliefs, which can be a difficult and traumatic thing to go through, as maybe some of you have experienced. But it is a completely different thing and maybe even a more complicated thing to change structures of how an organization functions. So that that's why I'm really excited for our conversation today, because we're we're just like dipping our toes in this. There's so much probably more that we could get into, but Bill and Brenna have been thinking about and working on what it looks like to engage in leadership in healthier ways. And, and honestly, uh, I was expecting our conversation to be things that were like completely dismantling everything and how churches and organizations function, completely dismantling leadership structures. I was expecting that, but instead I found their insight incredibly helpful. I found it incredibly practical. I found it uh, very thoughtful and mindful and not this like pendulum swing from one side to another. Uh, I found it to be things that could work in a lot of different structures without completely dismantling the whole thing that could be helpful ways forward that can maybe even start to spark some imagination that that one of my hopes is that this conversation is helpful in getting some tools and ideas to begin to reimagine how you your leadership systems and structure and power works in your own local context. So Bill and Brenna are doing this work. Um, we'll, we'll plug it later on in the episode, but if you want to look up what they're doing, it is smallchurchbigtable.com, smallchurchbigtable.com, and you can find more resources that they have there, webinars they have there, coaching and things like that that they have there around all of this stuff. But for now, we're going to go ahead and move into this interview with Brenna Rubio and Bill White. All right. Well, friends, welcome back to the podcast. I've got a couple of local friends with me today who I'm excited to introduce you to. Brenna Rubio and Bill White are co-pastors of a church here in Long Beach called City Church Long Beach. And uh, Brenna and Bill, I am so grateful that you'd make some time to hang out with me here today. This is so, so. fun. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, it's good to have you, even though you didn't know I had a podcast before this moment. I'm glad to... I'm glad to have, you know, some new dedicated listeners here. Is this one of those moments <laughs> where we're kind of keeping you humble? <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good for me. It's good for me. Hey, I thought maybe the way that we would get going is to first talk, like if you would each introduce yourselves, and then I would love for folks to hear just a little snapshot of how you talk about your church, how you would describe City Church to folks. So, yeah, do you mind, like, telling people who you are and then a little bit about your church? Yeah, so I'm Brenna Rubio. At City Church, we describe, I would describe myself as the quiet pastor. We can't really figure out any other ways to differentiate our roles, but uh, I'm the more introverted. You know, I talk with people one-on-one. -on, -one. on a Sunday morning, Bill is going to make contact with every single person there, and I'm going to have a couple really, really good conversations with a few folks. So I'm, I'm more the quiet pastor, a little bit behind the scenes, planning, yeah, keeping us a little bit on track with our goals. And uh, yeah, I started ministry a long, long time ago, straight out of college, but it took me a long time to actually step into a pastoral type position, you mm. know, being female in an evangelical church space, uh, there are just a few more barriers and internalized, you know, as well as, as externalized. But City Church of Long Beach, I think, is really where I've experienced 
just a lot of freedom to step into my calling. And it's been a lot of fun. That's cool. Can I ask you, Brenna, obviously, obviously we know that there's a lot of barriers in the larger evangelical Mm. space for women leading. Have you experienced that as you've moved into, I I don't even know, like a lot of the folks I connect with would identify as post-evangelical. Sure. I would put your church like broadly in that. I don't know if you all would self-identify in that way, but as you're in this, say like more progressive kind of space, have you found the, there to be different sorts of barriers for women in that space than there were in your previous? Oh, sure. And I mean, any of those sorts of barriers. So if you talk with people of color, women of color, queer folks, right, there's there's one thing to getting intellectually on board with mm-hmm. inclusion, and it's a total other thing to actually live into it. So, you know, in a lot of ways, what many of us would say is like what people say they believe in, you know, you can say you're egalitarian, like, let's see how this this actually lives out. And, and it's easier to tear down some of the formal barriers than it is the informal barriers, you know? So if you show up at a meeting and they planned like the informal hangout time to be at a cigar bar, right? And you just yep. kind of go like, are you kidding me? You know, you, you think that you're an inclusive space. Like who do you think is going to go to the cigar bar, you know, after, after we meet? You know, it, it's that kind of stuff, right? That you just kind of, or you show up to preach at a church and the lectern is clearly set. I mean, it's a lectern. Okay. First it's a lectern. I don't even know about this whole lectern thing, but it's set up for a six foot four man. And you're just kind of like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to move that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Me to teach. So yeah. It's, yeah, that's, that's good. I was thinking one of the things I've experienced in this space has been at times an almost like self-righteousness of like, look at how good we are at X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I have often wondered or even like heard people you know just getting a chance to connect with somebody and saying like no there's actually a lot there's still a lot of barriers for us here and we even sometimes are more blindsided to it or blind to it because we think that we're in a different place than maybe what reality is oh yeah the phrase that you would hear behind the scenes is they think they're so woke you know and and it's in some ways it's it can be extra painful right like when you have like this is what's being said and yet what we're experiencing is so different. In other ways, you just kind of go, okay, this is reality, and we're going to have to keep chipping away, and we're going to have to try and be patient and gracious with each other, even as we also keep pushing, and it's messy. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, Brenna, you're the, like, driver at the church. Is that is that you know, fair? You, actually, you're the one who gets stuff done. Well, the answer is yeah. yes. I mean, in a functional, but Bill is kind of like, Bill's like the energy. It's like, think of it like a train, right? It's almost like he's like okay. the engine and I'm the one trying to make sure we stay on the tracks, right? Like, of just like, and is everything actually connected? You know, or is Bill, you, you don't want the engine to just go off by itself, right? You know, so, so it's a little bit more of the, I tend to slow things down, actually, I would say, but hopefully in a helpful way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Bill, do you want to tell folks a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Bill White. And, you know, I'm sort of that classic loud mouth, tall, white, charismatic, uh, more in the friendly, kind of win people over sort of way guy. And always thought I'd make a great lead pastor until I was a lead pastor. And, <laughs> and I sucked so bad. I led the church from like 175 people down to 55 people. That was really, really strong gifts there. And so now you're doing church growth consulting. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, I mean, I was just, I've just always needed a co-pastor. 
I've always mm-hmm. needed a team. And I, I think in the world that I grew up in, this sort of evangelical, some toxic masculinity, Lone Ranger type mentality, I just couldn't conceive of that. Yeah. That that's what's really necessary. Yeah, I thought that's that's it. This is the way you're supposed to do it. And, and it wasn't until I realized I truly suck at, at leading a church. And so having a co-pastor, particularly Brenna, has been an absolute gift. She's got all those executive talents to have clarity, to move things forward, to build systems, to develop people. And I'm just a big rah-rah kind of guy, just a big cheerleader. Well, a part of what I want to talk about in in a minute is kind of the, not just the co-pastoring model, but even the idea of like different sort of leadership structures that not only are you all experimenting with, but you're working with churches as they think through different kinds of leadership structures. But before we start getting into some of that kind of stuff, how would you describe, how do you describe City Church, Bill, when somebody's like, oh, you're a pastor, tell me a little bit about your church. What's your, what's your like go-to? Yeah. Well, I usually apologize. That's usually my first thing. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, in fact, last night I'm hanging out with a bunch of neighbors and probably 50 neighbors at the local brewery for a neighborhood gathering. And yeah, someone says, oh, so 99% of Bill's stories start this way, by the way, I was hanging out with a group of neighbors. Well, (laughs) you know, and, and, and this woman comes up to me, oh, you're Bill White. Are you a pastor? I'm like, I'm so sorry, but yeah, I am. And she's like, it's okay. You know, I mean, because so many people have been hurt by the church. So our church is really defined. We're spiritual refugees, people who've been cast out, thrown out, run over, uh, or excluded and have no other place to go. Recently I counted. So we have maybe 125 people who gather with us on a Sunday, either physically uh, as we meet outside at a local elementary school or online. It's about two thirds in person and about one third online. And recently I counted, we have 26 former pastors and missionaries. Hmm. That's the large mm-hmm. percentage. I think on that yeah. particular day, there were 17 in attendance. All these people who, who got fired, who you know came out, transitioned, whatever it was when they were pastor, and, and so they got killed. And then we have all these other strange, you know, bunch of people who are just completely non-religious, uh, like the local Wiccan priestess comes to our church, you know, various atheists and, and other, you know, Hindus and stuff like that. So it's, it's a fun mix. And yeah, so that, that's a bit about who we are. Yeah. The question I would love to ask you that I know you will not have an answer for is who's the better giver, the atheist or the former pastor? Better giver. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm teasing. Well, some of our former um, pastors are atheists. Yeah, and I mean, so yeah, I'm sure. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So, you you talked a little bit about like the the model that a lot of us have had of like what a lead pastor sort of looks like the the senior pastor. There's this lead pastor, the point person who sort of functions as like the CEO of the organization of the church there, and they operate like a CEO. They're responsible to the board. They um, oversee the staff, they set the vision, they set the direction. And and at some point you all realized for some sort of reason that that didn't work for you, that that didn't make sense. And you started moving to a different model. Do you mind 
sharing a little bit about how that shift happened for you? You know, it, it's really been a work in progress, I think. I think what happens for a lot of people, and this happened for us, you know, who've been sort of part of those, those more corporate models, right? It's the pyramid model. Uh, for anybody out there, maybe you've, you've read it, this old book, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. This author, you know, Gordon McKenzie, yeah. who contrasts. Yeah, I right? And book. so the really key image there, man, that all pastors, we should all be, all churches, we should be thinking about this image, right? It's the pyramid versus the plum tree. Uh, and the hierarchy, you know, with the people, the leaders who are on top. And that's that's usually what we've experienced, you know, in your average church, right? That's like the accountability model. We think that's what the church, what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God being a God of order, right? You know, it means that we have this this hierarchy that we live by. Well, a lot of us have been hurt by that, right? We've experienced that as as toxic. It works for some people, but a lot of people end up, you know, under the bus in those sorts of models. And so we come out of that. And if we've managed to hold on to our faith somehow, despite what we've experienced in those systems, we want to swing to the opposite direction, right? And we're just like, no more hierarchy, right? Like we're, we're tossing yes. that all out. We're just, we're going to be very, very mutual. And let's see what God can do, which is great, except as it turns out, like you get nothing done. <laughs> as it turns out, like, you kind of just, you end up abdicating like your gifts, other people's gifts, because nobody knows how to like connect to these things. And, and so we've experienced that as a church, right? Where it's like, we're just like, man, we're just gonna, we're just gonna love each other. And, and that part was actually, it was great, like in some ways, right? It's very warm, very connected, but it's also super chaotic. And, and we look around. She may be referring she may be referring to my tenure as solo head. You know, <laughs> but I was part of that system too. Maybe I didn't have a lot of authority in it at the time, but I was part of it, you know. And Well, and what you're describing is what I'm hearing several folks like pondering or they are, I've had a number of pastors just in even like recent months, probably in the last like three or four months um, that I'm connected to tell me that they are having this movement within their church where people are like, we need to dismantle leadership systems. Mm -hmm. There needs to be no, no mm -hmm. hierarchy at all. There needs to be no leaders. And they're like, I'm trying to listen to them and I'm trying to pay attention to that. And I'm also trying to figure out like, how does mm -hmm. that even function? How would we even like, how would that even work? And then I'm, and they're telling me, I'm looking at a couple of organizations that I've seen move in that direction and I haven't mm -hmm. seen it be healthy. So, yeah. So, you yeah. So you all swung to Absolutely. that sort of a pendulum where it was like, no, yeah, we're going to get rid of all the, all the hierarchy. Okay. And then. But, well, um, and it, it basically, you know, so for me, our, our leadership team meetings were group therapy. Okay. Yeah. We got nothing done. We would go literally for a month of, of leadership team meetings without talking once about sermon series, discipleship, outreach, serving the community. Anything besides like, hey, how are you doing? How are we doing? It was mm -hmm. awful. Was it actually awful or was it something that like you all needed for a period of time? No, it was awful. <laughs> you know, because okay. I think if it, 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 if it had actually ended up helping people move the dial, that might have been one thing, right? Like if there had actually been some healing that came out of it. But yeah, I don't think that was really truly the experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it did. 
I, I, I'm, I'm open to the idea that some people might need that season or even just you look and you're kind of like, yeah, the pendulum has to swing sometimes, right? You know, like you were over here way on this side. Now it's got to swing over here so that you can eventually, so that you can almost live into and see that's what it looks like over there. And, and now can we move back to a middle, uh, a more balanced, you know, kind of spot for us, you know, one of the, the, things that we found really helpful in understanding the differences here. Um, Brene Brown has this awesome PDF about power. And so thinking about, you know, when you experience power in a hierarchical system, it's very much like power over, right, is how you're using it. But what we've come to realize is that we just get fearful of power at all. So we just kind of say, man, and power is just effectiveness, right? Power is your ability to do things. But if you kind of just say, well, I'm scared of power, I'm not going to be effective. You know, I'm not going to try, you know, to, to actually affect change, to do good work, to set goals. Um, that's when we end up abdicating. So Brene Brown says, okay, but there actually is another form of power. There's power with, right? There's, there's a power where you're, again, going back to the Gordon McKenzie thing where we'd say we're flipping the model, right? And it's no longer a pyramid. Now it's a plum tree. Like instead of it being about a, a power over, it's power of four, a power with a power that supports and, and empowers and is just much, much more mutual, but you can actually still have leadership systems. You can actually still have roles. You just have to be really clear about what they're, what they're for, who they're for. Accountability flows both ways. You know, actually, it's, it, it's just a different understanding of why you have power and how you're going to hold it. So, I want to, uh, I actually want to push into a little bit in a minute on like some of those specifics on like, how does that actually, like, how do you define mm-hmm. roles in that sort of a uh, system? What does that actually look like? Because I think folks that are listening to this are having those kinds right. of conversations. So I think that that'd be interesting, but I'm kind of curious for a minute, Bill, you were, you were the top dog. You got to, you know, rake in all of the CEO, <laughs> senior pastor money. <laughs> You got to like be the one who is the chief visionary who gets to set the direction, gets to do the thing. You get to be the one that everybody's looking to and you decide to shift to this model. I'm curious. I'm curious about two things. Like one is what instigated that for you. And the second is what did that feel like for you when you weren't the person with the sort of point person anymore? Did you feel a sense of loss? Like what did you have to sort of personally work through? Yeah. So one of the most awkward metaphors that Brenna and I are forced into using is the marriage. Yeah. Is metaphor. everyone clear we're not uh, married? I am not married. <laughs> uh, no, we are. Oh, I'm yeah, married yeah. to Katie. Different people. And she, she's married to Israel. We're not married to each other. But, you know, so when I married my wife, three years in, she started a new job. She's a physician. And I realized at that point that she was, you know, even in her residency, she was making way more money than I was making in ministry and that that was never going to change. I come from a very traditional Southern family, stay at home, mom, you know, lawyer, father. And it was so unnerving for me to realize I've lost my role. Uh, you know, my wife is, she's leading the charge financially. So I think in some ways I'm grateful that I had that experience early on and to marry someone who I could be a true partner with. I think that prepared me a little bit more for this experience of realizing for me, it was failure. 
it was abject failure that I, I actually am not a good therapist. I did not lead our pastoral team well. I hurt, I wounded some of our, multiple of our staff. I failed multiple of our congregants by trying to do it myself. And, mm. you know, just wept and wept. I basically had to take an emergency sabbatical at the end of that year where I was the solo head pastor. Uh, and, you know, went out on a seven day retreat of silence at a monastery and just like, okay, am I not even fit for ministry? You know, and had to have some real heart to hearts with Jesus about who am I, what am I doing? And I think in, along the way, just realized there's got to be a different way to do ministry. And I, I was fortunate. I was, I mean, I, you know, many pastors don't have that kind of privilege. You know, we, we have no overhead. We have no building. We have, you know, for me, small salaries, church plant, lots of flexibility. So I could actually come back and say, hey, we're going to have to shift how we do things. And, and really, it was saying, I'm going to need to partner with Brenna, with someone who sees things differently, who works differently, who has a different set of gifts, who's more executive, who's really, she could be a solo head pastor. I couldn't. I mean, she probably couldn't start a church because she's not that extrovert mm -hmm. gatherer. But in terms of being a, an established church, she's got those gifts, not me. So realizing that, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so having the, the history with, with Katie, my wife, realizing, okay, I'm surrendering what I thought was my power was actually really helpful to realize, no, this is a gift. Hmm. This is a gift God's giving me. And it's been nothing but a gift. Yeah, that's good. So you you all started a an organization. Yeah, we're a nonprofit in development. A nonprofit in development called Small Church Big Table. And your your tagline or your mission statement, you say we help deconstructing faith leaders dismantle toxic leadership patterns and learn power sharing practices to build potent inclusive communities. So you have begun working with faith leaders, churches. I'm guessing maybe also maybe some nonprofits that are thinking through these sorts of mm -hmm. questions and probably more than just like co-pastoring leading with. But I'm curious, a church comes to you and and they've got a more traditional mm -hmm. model of what leadership sort of looks like in the church. And they're thinking about developing a, a model where they are partnering with mm -hmm. each other. I'm curious how you figure out and like help them define like, well, what are our roles? And even like, so I'm, I'm working with this church right now that's hiring their first co-pastoring position and they, they have one of the people and they're hiring the other person. And as they defined out their roles, I said to them, well, it seems like the roles feel very much similar to this person is doing what an executive yeah. pastor would do. And this person's doing what a more typical lead pastor would do. And what's different is that, is that it's shared authority, but it, the functions feel very similar to, to me than that. Is that what you're seeing happen? Is it something completely different? Like, yeah, yeah I don't, I rambled on a little bit there, but do you get the gist of what yeah. I'm? Yeah. And I in asking? some ways, maybe if I could parse it out, it feels a little bit like a little bit two different questions. Cause one would be like more of an established system where it's like you're gonna you want to try to make some shifts and the other like you're actually changing the system pretty explicitly if you're you're adding in a co-pastor to the situation i mean that's a sure yeah that's a, a larger kind of i don't want to 
I don't want to say top down, you know, but there is that sense kind of at the core of the organization, right? You're making a pretty radical, a pretty radical change. Yeah. So let's just do, let's simplify it and just do the first uh, organization church comes to you and, and they've got a more typical model and they're like, we know some things need to change. How do we even figure out how we do things differently? How do we figure out what yeah. our roles are? Yeah, you know, so far, you know, we, we've we done, we're, we're very much in the beginning stages, but in the first webinar that we did and, you know, invited anybody they wanted, that wanted to, to you know, come and, and chat with us, we definitely had quite a few of those churches you know, who showed up and it's just like, what would, what would we do? Yeah, we, we don't want to be jerks. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want to, we, we actually identify as being more in this toxic kind of space. It's always been very hierarchical. We know it's hurt people. How would we shift? You know, and, and the reality is change just doesn't happen overnight. You know, you can't snap your fingers. You're going to have to take not only like these are pastors who were there, right? Well, pastors are connected to boards and then boards are connected to entire congregations. And so it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's a big system to try and move. But what we want to walk people through is in those core groups, you know, starting with your board and then moving out to your different ministry teams, your staff. Like, how do you start practicing sharing power? How do you start practicing explicitly in your communication saying, we don't want it to just be about us? You know, we want to start bringing people in, figuring out which decisions should we be making together? You know, which conversations should we be having to build mutual understanding? Where do people need to know? Yeah, this is my area to lead, you know, based on all the other conversations that we've had, you know, that I get to help us move into this part of the vision. It's just, it's those, those intentional conversational practices. I think that, that we're, we're really focusing in on with people. Go Bill. Yeah. I I would just add, so, so what Brenda's talking about in if, if you could parse it out, Brenda has developed a tool called Leadership Levels, which is immensely helpful to decide, to determine what kind of conversation we're having, what, who's the leader, what's the responsibility, where is shared power, where is it not, so that there's real clarity. Like in our board agenda, we have at every point in the agenda, it says what leadership level that conversation is and who's mm-hmm. leading it. And this is because we're trying to clarify, clarity is kind. What what are the roles and, and how do we play this out? Because what most often happens in, in churches with more top-down leadership structure is that that they think all the decisions are a certain kind of decisions where I think you can actually have, you can still have that, that hierarchy of leadership and, and the different roles, the head pastor, the executive pastor, the associate pastor for family ministries, et cetera. You can actually still have those roles and have it be power sharing. But it, it requires a lot of work and a lot of clarity. And so another tool that, so. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to try and make it maybe practical and bring it back, you know, to like something that this is often like, it's simple because it's just two people, but, but it often still helps people. So many, you know, the pastors that you might be working with, Mike, pastors that we're going to be talking to, if they're married, they might say that they have an egalitarian marriage, right? And in an egalitarian marriage, like you don't have to make every single decision together, right? Like usually there's still going to be sort of a differentiation 
into roles. And if it's truly egalitarian, it's not necessarily going to be based, you know, just on like, you know, and, and this is assuming a heterosexual marriage. But, you know, hey, this is what men have always done. This is what women have always done. So we're going to divvy it up that way. But hopefully it's based on your gifts, abilities, time, all that sort of stuff, right? But you, you divvy it up. But then every time you make a decision in your area, right, this is mine. This is one of the ways I contribute, you know, to our partnership. You're referring back to, okay, but what are our values? Like as a couple, right? Like what are the mutual decisions we've already made together that are, that are going to guide you know, how I, I lead in this area on our behalf. It, it's that sort of thing, right? That you just start playing out in an entire organization. So does that then end up looking like getting really clear about your values and how you have a mutual yes. shared definition, understanding of what those yeah, things it are? It takes a lot of work, a lot of conversation, right? And a lot of times we're talking with people who might say like, well, how, do, how do you have time for that much conversation? And you should say, well, you can have it on the front end, you know, and do it proactively, or you can have it on the back end when everything's falling apart. You know, one way or the other, you're probably going to have to spend hmm. the time. So, so there's the, the values piece, but what Brett is also referring to here is the conflict piece, right? Which is people will say the same thing to us about conflict. Like, wow, you guys have so much conflict. And we talk it through, we end all of our meetings. We do, we fight a lot. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of every meeting, we ask, this is a standard question for our board meetings and our pastoral and our, you know, all of our team meetings is, hey, how did we do? Is there, is there anything that needs to be surfaced from this meeting? We leave time. And people say, well, how do you have time to do all that? It's just, well, you either do it now when the issue is at hand or three weeks from now, someone is quitting or someone is putting something out on social media about how their boss, you know, it's like, I mean, just yesterday we had another big conflict and realizing, gosh, I'm so grateful we're putting in the time now because otherwise this would just blow up. Mm -hmm. a disaster. So it is, it's a lot of time. And you need some tools. Brent has also developed a conflict wheel tool. We've worked on that together to help think through what are the what are the community agreements around how we're going to engage with one another along the leadership levels. What is our culture around difficult yeah. conversations? And those are agreements that we make and we we keep and we build in practices that reinforce those, like how we make our agendas for a board meeting, for example, with what question we ask at the end of every board meeting, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, so there's an established way that you're going to, I like that you say, have conflict rather than fight. <laughs> well, you know, um, we actually, we've done a lot of these like tools. We pass them on to our, our folks in our church, right? So we've actually taught these many, many times already, right? And, and sometimes people like, so we'll act not even, it's not acting out. We will take a recent conflict and we will, we'll have it in front of people, <laughs> right? Like just to sort of like, this is, oh, this is how we do conflict together. And, you know, the reactions vary because some people they're like, that's conflict. You're not screaming and cussing at each other. Right. You know, and hmm. like, wait, that's not fighting, you know, and then other people just find it so awkward and intimate to watch. Right. Because even without the screaming and fighting, if you're used to things just going unsaid, you know, to watch a couple of people yeah. really kind of say, this is what I was thinking. This is what I was feeling. And this is really what I want. You know, it, it's, it's intense. It's interesting because as you're describing that, it reminded me of, are you familiar with, you probably are with uh, Dr. John Gottman's mm -hmm. work on marriage? Mm -hmm. 
And I remember a big thing for Allison and I, we realized early on when we read his work, because we had always, I had always like heard the, the marriage seminar that would be like, um, well, what you need to do is, you know, reflective listening, essentially like, Mm -hmm. so what I hear you saying is this, and, and you kind of repeat that back. And I freaking hated it. Like, just hated it. It it just did not, like, but it was like, well, that's what healthy communication looks like. And what Gottman did for me was realize, like, oh, there's actually three different ways that healthy couples mm-hmm. engage in conflict. And that's one of the ways, mm-hmm. but it yeah. doesn't need to be the only way. Yep. That there's, he calls it a volatile way, which is, like, much more intense. And then there's what he calls avoidance, which sounds bad, but it it's not. It's essentially, like, you have a mutually agreed upon values that like, unless something's going to violate that, you don't have to like stuff kind of get swept mm-hmm. under. Right. Yep. And it feels like that, that to me felt like, Oh, there's this marriage agreement for the way that we're going to engage in conflict. And we need to figure mm-hmm. out what that means and looks like for us. And that might look like something different, but there's, there's different healthy ways to do that. It sounds to me yeah. a bit like that, that like for this to work for us to power share, in some sort of way we have to engage in conflict and we have to create some like shared ways that we're going to agree this is how yeah it's i mean we pretty much always say hey it's not like this is the be all end all you know of how to do conflict but when somebody comes and asks me and i do have people do this all the time hey i'm about to start you know a co-directorship or a co-pastorate or you know any tips that you would pass on pretty okay. much my first question is do you have an agreed upon way to do conflict right? Like that's the biggest, like how you're going to disagree with each other. It's like the whole phrase, right? And this is, you said you could bleep or deal with this however you want to, right? If if you're not fighting, somebody's <laughs> eating shit, right? Like that's the, if you're not fighting, somebody's not being honest. Somebody's just stuffing it. Like if you're going to have a healthy partnership, there's got to be some creative tension, right? And how are you going to yeah. harness that I'm actually going to bleed into, you know, kind of the other way you were asking the question, which was around, Go ahead. you know, this, these two people who are thinking about becoming co-pastors, right? And, and trying to figure out the differentiation and what does that look like, right? And uh, we were just, we were actually just meeting with two people yesterday who are thinking about co-pastoring. And so we were, we were all laughing at the beginning that in a lot of ways, it's like premarital counseling, you know, that there is this sense of like, you know, will you or won't you, you know, how are you going to understand each other? You know, what are some of the like awkward conversations that we need to get you talking about now so that they don't like creep up on you around money, around roles, shared power, all of these things. Right. But, but even there, there was a sense of like, you're looking, so we were looking at some personality profile things. Bill was leading through, you know, that part, you know, all the different stuff you can do, right. Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and the Colby and uh, you know, you notice the parts where you're similar and say, well, wow, this is great. This, these are some areas where it's going to be easy for you and you're going to have some shared understandings and approaches to things. And then you look at the places where they're different and say, wow, this is really great. Or it has the potential to be. And it yeah. also has the potential to kick you in the butt, right? Like it's going to make you or break you these places where you're different because you need the difference. Your church is going to need the difference. Are you going to handle it well? One of the one of the two yesterday, she said, uh, she said, you know, I've started telling my friends who pray for me that I'm doing pre co-pastoring counseling. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing like, it's really important to establish how mm-hmm. we're going to do conflict and to agree upon that. 
It's really important to have a shared set of values for how we're going to make decisions based on those values. I'm intrigued by the idea of leadership levels and the idea that like, not like we can empower people at to make different kinds yeah. of decisions. Am I understanding that right? That it's like, yep. it t- yeah, will you talk to me a little bit about how that well, sort of works? let me tell you first, like, because we do share this, you know, with a lot of folks at our church too, right, who are not church leaders, right? They're doctors yeah. and accountants and school administrators and store clerks. And lots of them, actually, this is one of their favorite things uh, that they get excited about hmm. and they will actually take back to teams at their jobs. And, you know, we share it like, hey, we're going to do it at City Church and it might have some application with your roommates and with your intimate relationships and you know, all these things. But they get excited and they actually take it back and, and talk about it in their workplaces as well. One of the simplest ways that we talk about it is with the metaphor of Batman and Robin, you know, and the sense that in any area you have to decide who's Batman right? You you just can't have everybody thinking they're Batman, like running around, you know, trying to make all the decisions. And it's really helpful to know that going in to say like, okay, in this area, not because they've got a big ego, but because they've agreed to take on the responsibility because they've got some giftings in this area. This person is going to be our, yeah. Can I just stop you there real quick? One of the differences, if I understand right, in the way that you're thinking about this is in a more traditional model, the lead pastor might they're think always that they're Batman. always Batman. Yeah, they're not always Batman. Okay. Yeah. And actually, Mike, you and I were talking at the before we started recording about a mutual friend named Tom Virtue. And I'm going to call him out because I really saw this at work, you know, 20 years ago when I was a dumb kid fresh out of college on Tom Virtue's ministry team. And he actually operated in a shared leadership system as well. There's a triad of leaders on our ministry team back then. Tom was one of them. But one of the things that was always clear in our agendas for those meetings was at any point of the meeting, he didn't call it this, but who was Batman? Who was leading that part of the meeting? And Tom was always very clear, like during that discussion, don't look at me. I'm not leading the meeting. That person's leading the meeting. And if something starts to go incredibly off the rails... I'll tell you, I'm putting my leader hat back on, you know, and, and I'm going to have to, you know, just to get us back into a healthy conversation, I might step in for a second, but unless I do that, they're Batman. You look at them. They're the ones leading, leading the meeting. That's really good. And and I don't think we can parse all this out right now, but, but let me do it. Just a thumbnail sketch. Um, so what, what Brenda talked about is, so that's the most common image that we use. There are actually, we talk about four leadership levels and there's some distinction with, within each one, but, and as you build for healthy decisions, leadership level four, which is the most important is we're all in the, think of it as the top of a funnel. Mm -hmm. Sorry. The the top of a funnel is we're all in conversation. Someone's leading the conversation, but we're all in conversation. No one's Mm -hmm. making a decision. That's the most important. Then there's L3, which is the next layer down in the funnel, which is, okay, someone's leading the conversation, but it's a consensus conversation where we are making a decision by consensus. And there are like five major ways to make consensus decisions. But then there's L2, which is, okay, because we've had such good L4s and L3s, in, in the L4s and L3s, we've realized that, hey, this is your L2, your Batman here. You get to make the calls with consultation of others. That's your L2. 
Okay. And there are a couple of different ways to do that. And then your L1 is, L1 is you just make that call. You just walk in and make that call. Either A, because it's, there are two major approaches to L1s. One is it's within your parameters. So you have the, the, the budget for coffee on Sundays. Okay. You get to decide what kind of coffee you're going to get. You don't need, you know, like how much, yeah. and whether you stockpile it or not. The other L1 is the dangerous L1. It's the L1 that most lead pastors or any pastors in their area of ministry take, which is they just walk in and they say, this is going to, this is the way it's going to be. And it doesn't, yeah. And every I'm going to say, what makes it dangerous, or I might use the word expensive, uh, is it doesn't flow naturally out of the L4, L3, L2 process, right? Like it surprises people. And so I'm going to say it's expensive because it's a withdrawal from trust. You know, that there's a sense of where did this yes. come from? And how does that, this fit into our shared yeah. values? I love this because it's like, I feel like several of the leaders that I've talked to that are having these conversations, one of their concerns is, well, there's a few concerns. It's like, this feels very like woohoo. We, we throw everything out and, and nobody's mm -hmm. moving anywhere anymore. Right. There's no definite, there's no accountability. Mm -hmm. There's no, like the organization, like it's function sort of like ceases in some ways, or it drastically changes, or maybe there is no function mm -hmm. anymore. And this feels very like much more systematic mm -hmm. and intentional and like it, it actually feels helpful and doable as opposed to like, we just throw out all the hierarchies and we're all together and like something. Yeah. I mean, emerge. that's the pendulum swing, right? It's just saying, Hey, okay, right. we've been there. We've done that. It didn't, it didn't actually didn't feel good. It, it felt bad in a different way, but it still felt bad. And then to say, you know, we think there's, we missed it, right? Like we can still do things. We can still be effective. It's still going to look different, you know? And that's where, you know, we're starting very much on these sort of team concepts and what we do together. But the reality is it's going to, it's going to end up taking churches in different areas because all of a sudden you are going to be hearing different voices that you weren't hearing before. And yeah, like Bill was describing, right? Like you're going to lose some control. Like you, you're actually, you are going yeah. to be sharing power. It is going to, it's going to take some internal work. Yeah. Our, our church is so much fun in so many ways. We love it. We don't have a five-year plan. I don't know if you can lead this way and have a five-year plan. I'm not sure that's realistic. You know, it's that difference between like process goals and outcome goals, right? These are a lot of process goals. Yes. Right. Yes. I was just like, this is how we're going to be together and let's see what happens. Yeah. And I think the reality is churches like that I had experienced that started throwing out five-year goals a little while ago. And then COVID forced everyone to, to at, at least if you're trying to be honest, to say like, oh, we actually don't know what 18 months from now will look like. So we have to think about it differently. Again, humility, right? We've been humbled. Yeah. 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 So one other just tool that we talk about, and, and this is sort of a summary piece here, but so this webinar that Brenda talked about that we did a couple of weeks ago, she developed this shape that was super helpful that we talked through. And the webinar is called Lead Without Being an Asshole. It's a big goal, but it's a worthy one, right? And the whole idea is... That's a, that's a good goal. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to disagree well, with I that? Mean, I, I am working on it every day and not achieving it. So uh, as Brenda can testify to our from our meeting yesterday. 
But so there are four key quadrants, and we've actually in this conversation talked through each of the four. And to to summarize, it's a sense of moving from toxic leadership to shared power. But the only way to get there is to move through some of these other quadrants that are, you know, stepping stones. It's it's the pendulum swings, and it's this process. It's yeah. just hard, and there's a lot of dying mm. that goes on, a mm-hmm. lot of dying to self. Well, you all are some of the best conversation partners I know around this topic. And so for folks that are listening, I would imagine like for me thinking specifically about pastors I'm interacting with, I'm imagining three, like three kinds of scenarios that I'm hearing. I'm hearing the, the one that we've already hit on a few times of like no hierarchy. And then they're kind of figuring out like, oh, we're not doing anything. We call it the chaotic. The chaotic. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I've connected with folks who are in that space, then with folks who are in the space where they're in a more traditional model, but there are rumblings in their church for something Mm -hmm. different. And they're trying to figure that they're trying to be open and listening. They have some fear around that, but they're open and they're Mm -hmm. listening. And then there's a sort of like third person that's maybe a bit of where you were at, Bill, that's feeling burned out. They might not be able to identify all of the ways, but the way that they're doing ministry is no longer working for them anymore. So for those folks, and maybe there's some some others that would resonate, where do they find you? How do they connect with you? How do they learn from you? How do they like get you to walk with them? Like point us in some directions of of how to connect with you. Yeah, let me just say first, uh, there might be a lot of other better partners for them. Um, you know, like a therapist, for example, uh, a spiritual director. Uh, and honestly, this is going to sound kind of bizarre, but you know, I would, I mean, sure, come to us. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but find some gay friends, find some transgender friends. They're on a spiritual journey. Spend time with them. They've had to go through what you're going through now. They will love you and accept you and you can learn them uh, in ways that you could never mm-hmm. learn from us. So, I, I mean, that, that's, sorry, that's just sort of my knee-jerk reaction. Like, oh God, there's so, there's so many good mm-hmm. partners out there uh, if we're just willing to go mm-hmm. there, so. That's good, that's good. Yeah. Now, if they're like, that's great, <laughs> but I wanna talk to you. Well, and the reality is, you know, <laughs> Sometimes like maybe we're a baby step, right? Like maybe we're kind of like, all right, like we can translate for you a little bit. Some of the things that we've been honored already to learn from our friends and the people that we've been reading. Um, Yeah, we've started, you know, we have a website where we're blogging once a week. So it's smallchurchbigtable.com. Actually, just right now, we put a new post up today. It was, Bill wrote it about these awesome interactions he's been having with a neighbor. She describes herself as the neighborhood witch, you know, and just the incredible, I mean, it's been amazing to watch their conversations develop over the last four to six months. And so with her permission, he's been sharing a bit of those on the blog. And the blog, I think in a lot of ways is us just just having fun, just talking about what this can look like. I think especially if in your if you're in that stage that you talked about, Mike, where you're just like you're tired and you're burnt out. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are just like wondering, what does this look like? Give me some hope that it could look differently. You know, that what I'm doing where I mean, I I think about, yeah. you know, some situations I've been in, right? Like, give me some hope that the church is more than about like raising funds so we can talk about what color the carpet 
should be, you know, and the, you know, the great ways we're going to make our, our sanctuary, you know, look just incredible. And, and I just needed to hear some stories, you know, about like, no, what does it look like in the neighborhood? You know, surely it's got to be more than being decorator in chief. And I will say that, yeah, in my, in, so these couple of blogs about the, this Wiccan priestess, who's my neighbor, it's actually about what I've had to learn about who God is. I mean, she ends up becoming a Christian, but it's the stunning, I mean, reversal. And I end up becoming human, hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, thank God. You know, she just texted me this morning. I'll read you the text. I just, I just got it. And she said, you know, good morning. Uh, I just reread the blog. You're super grateful God brought us together and I'm grateful that you're helping me know God. Thanks for being my friend and now my pastor. Who would have thought it? And I responded just, I, and I said, I am equally grateful for the ways you keep teaching me what true faith is. Glad to be on the journey with you, friend. Hmm. I mean, that that's this morning. That's just like, I'm on the same journey she's on. So anyway, that's, and we do, oh, so the second thing, we also do some coaching. So we do blog. And so we, we do some coaching. We have cohorts for people who are on this journey at, at various points. We're starting a cohort, uh, January, 2022, and we'll have following, you know, some other cohorts starting up that are just like a month long of, uh, a group together meeting once a week with some individual coaching, but group coaching, trying to figure out like, how do we do this? What are the tools? What are the learnings? What are the practices that actually help us move forward? It's less about uh, orthodoxy and it's more about mm-hmm. orthopraxy. Great. And that's all at smallchurchbigtable.com. Yeah. And you got an Instagram yes. by Instagram, the same all that, deal. all that good stuff. Even a YouTube channel. It has all of maybe five videos, but the webinar, actually, we have a recording of the, <laughs> the webinar for anyone who missed it up on our tiny, tiny little YouTube channel. Which is wonderful. I watched it. And and that chart that you were talking about just a little bit ago, Bill, I found to be a really helpful visual example. So friends, small church, big table, check them out. Uh, if this is something that you are wrestling through, thinking about would love for you to get to know Brenna and Bill a bit and to be able to learn from them. So thanks friends for being on here. It's, it was a real pleasure to get to have you and to learn from you. And this was great. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah. Thanks Mike. Appreciate you and all you're doing.